Hey everybody and welcome to another special edition of Not Safe for Wonks. They're all special lately. Brandon Buchanan here. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Lara's. The whole gang, the OG gang is all here. Uh, and we do have a very special guest. One of my comrades, one of my associates. He is running for Congress in Georgia's 11th district. I was talking to Leia before the show went on and she's like born in California. You're like a Gray Davis baby, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's been it's been Democrat all the way. I was born. You lived in Washington. Yeah, moved out before the recall. It's it's a whole Democrat thing, and now I'm in deep in the heart of Texas, baby. You're getting your first taste of Republican rule and what that boot tastes like. Yeah, you you you're accustomed to that. You're living the fucking darkness. Yeah, the zone is permanent. Absolutely, Asher Knuckles is here, and he's been living with that boot damn near his whole his whole life. Uh, Asher, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Thanks. Thanks you for having me. Can you tell people that aren't from Georgia what the 11th is and where it is and what it's like? All right. So first off, the 11th is a very funly gerrymandered district because it includes like the northwest bit of Atlanta, but it also goes up into like straight up Appalachia where people live in shacks without electricity as well. So it's like this really weird contrast, but it is mostly a very rural, very Republican-leaning district. Uh, the Cook PVI, and for folks that don't know, there's it's like a rating of basically how Republican a district is. It's plus 17, I think. It's something really high like that. It's, it's, 17. it's 17 points more Republican than the national average, which is not the best. No, it is the, well, here's the thing. It represents an opportunity. If you have somebody that's willing to fly into the Death Star, <laughs> um, <laughs> which which Asher definitely is doing. Uh, Ash, can you talk a little bit about like who your rep is? I think it's Loudermilk. I'm 90% sure. Yeah, and, it's Loudermilk. Yeah, and what it's... Wait, what is it? Is that really a name? Yes, Barry Loudermilk. Yeah, that's not a brand of butter. That's actually the name of their rep. Louder milk. <laughs> <laughs> fucking that really does sound like I should be walking down the super aisle. Oh look, louder milk's back at stock. Mm. That 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 seems like to make all these fucking jokes about <laughs> state representatives named like Ashfoot Dingle Nuts. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like it's some sort of like manifestation of our collective desires that these just bizarre white guys who have never done anything important in their lives. And if you look on their Wikipedia pages, just like was reelected to the 78th congressional district for the past 38 years. And it's like, are these people real? Or were these people Berenstain Bear, like parallel universe jumped into ours because they, we need to be convinced that like, it's like the matrix fucking up, man. Like these people have come out of a factory. I'm sorry for getting off on this, but like fucking louder milk. I can't take well, it. I can't take well, it actually, anymore. Can you talk about the guy you're running to replace? And, and yes, okay. Coming from this? All right. There's, there's so much I could say about Loudermilk. So most recently, he was um, he got up in Congress and made this big speech about how Trump was Jesus. Actually, Trump was treated worse than Jesus was by Pontius oh. Pilate. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That oh. was on national news. And yes. No, that's our guy. That's the yeah. guy we're trying to get rid of. The guy that was like, yeah, Trump being impeached was like Jesus being crucified. No, no. It was worse than Jesus being crucified. Let's be clear. Yeah. You know, Like Jesus was allowed to talk to his accuser or something. Yeah. 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 It's insane. 
like these people and pardon my curtness but uh you're probably not going to win so this isn't going to come up and be a scandal these fucking people like it's it's just insane the level and quality of brain that we're talking well, about listen. <laughs> well listen like here's the thing here's the thing leia like it, it is a republican district you would think based on the people that go to dc that they are just like, they get in a circle and they light a bonfire and they chant at the sky. But it's really not like that. Like if you were to be in that district, like you leave and Asher's mentioned this, the map is like, there's a little bit of Atlanta, like outer Atlanta uh, and Marietta. And then you go up and you're in the country. Once you start going into the country, it's not like you've met a different type of people. They're practically the same group of people. They just are a little more isolated. And for the most part, they're not ultra politically engaged. Like they're just like doing their job and working and going about their business. Right. I, I, I guess, I mean, you know, in conservative politics, you're either the grifter or you're being grifted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> So I guess, can you just sort of talk about what the electorate is like and who shows up to vote? Is running for Congress up there a matter of trying to get new people to vote? Or is it a matter of trying to change the minds of the people that are already voting? So it's definitely changing the minds of people that are already voting. Of the people I've talked to mostly, they have said that they are like very consistent voters, actually, which is surprising to me. Like uh, one guy I was talking to the other day told me he's only missed two elections his whole lifetime that he's lived here. And that's including primaries. And he was like, those were just special elections that were held in like a weekday that he just couldn't get to. And the other thing I would say is that like mostly they just hate the government. That's the easiest thing. They just think everyone is corrupt, all politicians. So they're just voting for the same people they've always voted for because the Republicans are basically are just like, yeah, the government sucks and then it should be small. And that resonates with people. But just another politician is definitely not what you are. Oh, like, no. you, are yeah. you are far to the left and very outside of the box compared to a lot of people. Maybe you could get into a little bit of your political history and just sort of how you got to be here today with your positions running for Congress. Yeah, so I am openly running here as a libertarian socialist, which, I mean, almost no one knows what that is, which is, it's fun for me because... That's part of the reason we didn't go with just socialists. Like we are libertarian socialists, but that kind of creates this cognitive dissonance for people and they have to ask us about it, which is nice. So as far as how did we get the way that we are, I don't know. Growing up, I kind of always saw it as Republicans think the government is bad and Democrats kind of think corporations are bad. I know that's not the case, but that's always kind of how I viewed it as a kid. And I really like being a libertarian socialist because it's just like, yeah, everything is awful. We don't like the government. We don't like corporations. It's, it's like one of those um, centrist boomer memes. It's like left is like big corporations are the problem. Right is like big government is the problem. Uh, and then you have the, the like the lead guy from Fight Club. And he's like, well, I think corporations and the government are the problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm intelligent. I, and it's like, dude, that's the socialism. But you think that's bad. Yeah. You know, being a libertarian socialist. The libertarian part that was very much shaped by living in the South for almost my entire life. It's just that, yeah, you really have to get on board with people. There is lots of corruption in the government, and it would be better if we had a higher level of political engagement. I think the way to get that is at a more local level. Like, if people are one step rather than three steps from all the decision making, that they will be more engaged, right? Because if we have local, then state, then federal. But if it's all 
mostly local, they might actually care. One of the issues that I think resonates with people in your district is NAFTA. I mean, you're there more than I am, but on the rare occasion that I'm up there and I hear people complain about politics, I hear a lot of talk about NAFTA. And uh, there was recently the USMCA was in the news. Can you talk a little bit about what the USMCA is and how it affects people that are in your district? Yeah. So the USCMA is NAFTA, except we get Canadian milk and we made them adopt stricter copyright laws. I think that's basically the only difference from NAFTA. But basically, it's just so we can send away jobs, essentially. It's terrible for us here because, I mean, there's a lot of rural communities here. So it's a lot of, like I said, we're getting milk from Canada now, which means we're not producing our own milk kind of thing. It's, it's a lot of trade for that. So, I mean, it's really hurting those working class, small jobs that you would be doing here, like any kind of agricultural work. Oh, NAFTA's oh, just neoliberal nonsense. <laughs> I hate it. Hey, don't we know it? When you, when you talk to people that are in rural areas uh, and you talk to them, not just about like alternatives in economics. Well, first of all, how, how do you talk about alternative ways to organize trade when, when people, I mean, Bill Clinton was 20 years ago. And for a lot of people, our current trade policies are kind of considered the default way of life. What do you say to expand people's imagination about these trade deals and keeping jobs like in your district and in your communities? I mean, I really think that's like a key issue, just expanding people's imagination. They love, they hate, they love talking about how bad the system is, but they never want to talk about what we can do about the system. And I mean, for me, it's unions. Like unions are the way we keep jobs here. Strengthening unions, getting rid of right to work laws, absolute nonsense. And we want to make sure we're promoting more democratic unions that are actually listening to their members and doing it. Yeah. Neoliberal capitalism has done so well at smashing any alternative to what we have now that, you know, at the very least, articulate an alternative. Uh, what are what are your priorities for labor as a congressional candidate? And if you get in the seat, what are the major things that needed to be changed to make a more union friendly Georgia and a more union friendly country as a whole? Obviously, ban right to work. I mean, basically, you can just completely benefit from a union without being part of a union, which means that people are less likely to join because they don't want to pay the very, very minor union fees. Because, I mean, like union fees typically take you two hours, two, two and a half hours to pay. Right. Based on whatever rate you're making, <laughs> which is pretty minor with all the benefits. That the other thing is, especially in Atlanta here, we want to make sure that federal employees can unionize, right? I mean, cause, yeah. or can strike. They can't strike, mm -hmm. right? which is a big thing. And we're hoping, you know, if Bernie gets elected, he does that general strike just to force everything through. Um, I know that a lot of people in the state of Georgia are very skeptical of a Medicare for all platform. You are in a deep Republican district that's to the right of a lot of people that are in Congress right now that are Democrats. And you have been very vocal about the need for Medicare for all. Why is that so important to working class people? And how do you explain that single payer option to people who are skeptical of the government as a whole? It's not just working class people. It's important. It's important to everyone. I mean, yeah. even if you can afford healthcare, healthcare is still expensive, right? I mean, it's our lives we're talking about here. And I don't know, I have a lot to say about, and from a conservative perspective, about why healthcare should be single payer for everyone. 
First off, the really key thing point I love to make is that insurance companies don't do anything. They don't. They don't produce a good. They only make profit when they're denying you a service. That's how they work. And that's just fundamentally wrong, is that you're paying them and they make money by not giving you the thing you're paying. Them. They're not the ones giving the service. They're just sitting there leeching off of everyone. They make money on the assumption that you won't need their service. Yeah, exactly. You won't need the service that they will pay for. They don't even do the service themselves. They don't do anything. So the thing I mostly mention when I'm talking to voters is I want some level of participatory budgeting with if we do a Medicare for all kind of thing. And they generally get on board with this because their main gripe is that the government can't run the system efficiently, which I fundamentally disagree with. It already runs four healthcare programs. It clearly knows how to run a healthcare program. I mean, Medicare already has the lowest overall administrative costs. But yeah, participatory budgeting, that would be, so we want to devolve it down to a local level. That's a hard big thing. And we want to make sure that people can have a little vote on, you know, what are we spending on? Especially we want to make sure some money's sent off at the local level so they can, they can incentivize, like if they need an obstetrician, they can pay extra money to an obstetrician to come here. And I think that really gets them because they're just like, we don't want the government doing it. So we want to try and cut out the politicians basically from the process. And if I were able to just completely write the bill, I'd have like nurses unions write our insurance policy. I think that's, if you have politicians writing the bill, they will make yeah. ways for them to profit off of the system. That is just true. And so you can either have someone more it written at a more local level, or you can have it be so comprehensive that there's not ways to really do little niche things where you can be like, well, we want to do talaxifan instead of, you know, whatever other kind of drug. And then we're covering one thing versus another so some politicians made a deal with some drug company that were only supporting their drug versus the competitor. And now they're lining their pockets that way. So if we make it very comprehensive, it makes it harder for them to do nonsense like that. Are there a lot of like just horror stories in your district involving healthcare? Because I feel like that's sort of a truth of rural communities that's not discussed a lot. We have the measles here. Holy shit. It's great. We we have cases of the measles, and I would like to point out that louder milk is an anti-vaxer. So of of course, of course Wait, he is. Yeah, you have measles. Of course he is. Yes, we have measles, and he is an anti-vaxer. Yes, yes. Y'all don't grasp how 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 rough it is. The fucking dipshit louder milk is an anti-vaxer as well. I I swear, that, like these people are generated from a factory where they're just the worst possible people, and they just pole vault from like the factory yard into the polling station to register their candidacy. Yeah, what the fuck is happening over there? So. The thing is, like you said, this is a very hard district for me to win. So I've kind of joked that I'd be happy if I could just get Barry Loudermilk in a room alone and vaccinate him. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Given that, like, do you have an individual story that, sh that stood out to you about healthcare that you've heard or that somebody's told to you that really, like, sunk in for you? God damn, this entire current status quo just sucks, whether it's just an Obamacare story or a lack of coverage story or literally anything. Oh, we So we actually have someone who works with the campaign and they have cancer 
it's always so sad to hear like they might get their coverage cut off because they're like on Medicaid for their cancer. And they might just get it cut off because they forgot to file something by Monday. Whereas like the government has all these records. They know what's going on in their life because they're under such scrutiny. But the idea that we're just going to deny you care to save a few bucks just because you didn't get this in the mail on the right time. I think that's the most horrifying thing. It's like they know that they're sick. They've been sick for a long time and they're just like, but we can save $10 or whatever, you know, like it's just the craziest thing. You know, in Kentucky, they expanded Medicare and they kind of introduced the connect system. And it was, I mean, it's a very right wing state, Kentucky. And it was so ingrained in the lifestyle of people there that like trying to mess with it actually got a lot of blowback. And the state now like has a democratic governor, uh, which yeah. doesn't happen very often in Kentucky, not never, but not often. So can you talk a little bit about like what you think a Medicare for all program would do in the 11th, whether that's, you know, Ackworth, <laughs> Canton, all those places I think would benefit politically, personally. All that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like healthcare is the number one thing that when I'm talking with voters that they fundamentally just disagree with me on because I don't think it will work. But I I 100% believe once it's implemented, they will love it so much that we will never get rid of it, that the Republicans will try and try to break it, but they will not be able to do it because people are going to be able to afford to go to the doctor. Like So right now I load trucks. That's what I do. I have a guy who has a, a hernia, but he's still working because he's like, I can't afford to go to the doctor to get my hernia checked out, even though he's lifting shit all day long. Like, it's horrific. Goddamn. Stories like that are just very upsetting. Um, and obviously, you are very tuned into working class issues. What are the issues in your district, though, that people disagree with you the most about? Oh, like I said, healthcare is a big, big one. Um, so you actually do get a lot of pushback on that? Yeah, I do. I get a lot of pushback. They just don't think it can happen. Like, it's such a hard thing to convince people that it'll work. Because the thing is, there are a lot of structural changes that need to happen for it to work really well. Like, doctors here, you take eight years to get a doctorate. I mean, a, you know, to be a medical doctor. And you're racking up so much money. And we pay doctors a lot here. But part of that's because it's so expensive and hard to become a doctor. And that we have this artificial scarcity of doctors. Because, like, you can go get a pre-med degree for four years here or in the uk you can just take a five-year program and you're an actual practicing doctor at that point and i think that's a big thing that we've got to tell them all the ways that we're going to make sure that it works we can't just be like we're going to have this big blanket policy but i also like making the uh a salesman argument like you have an insurance salesman he's getting a commission if we just cut out the middleman it'll be cheaper I think the middleman argument is definitely a interesting approach that like not enough people really talk about it that way. It's just like th this is really just like an unnecessary step in the transaction. Exactly. Um, what are what do people naturally agree with you the most on? What fires people up about like your candidacy? And it might be something they're used to hearing or maybe something they're hearing for the first time from you. What What's in your platform that you feel really reaches people? Guns. I am pro-gun, and that blows people's minds here. They're like, wait, you're on the Democratic ticket, but you're pro-gun. The existence of uh, pro-gun leftists has, you know, really befuddled some people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some guy was literally telling me that he would vote for... Before I had mentioned that I was pro-gun, he was like, 
yeah, if Democrats just got rid of all this nonsense about getting rid of guns, they would win every time. And I'm like, actually, I'm pro-gun. Socialists are pro-guns. I really love to tell people that Karl Marx was pro-guns. It's in the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> like, if I'm talking, I mostly talk to conservatives. So, like, my campaign organizer likes to say that she's really good at talking to the leftists, and I'm really good at talking to the conservative right-wing people. And that is probably the case. But I really, man, I'm just, like, blanking now. I, oh, yes, I always say, like, if you take anything away from talking to me, it is that liberals and socialists aren't the same thing. Nothing annoys me to, like, a greater extent than that we always get lumped together. It's interesting that you say that. What do you think are some of the core differences between libs and socialists? So I actually was doing that debate night thing here in Atlanta for the Democratic debate. And it, that place was inundated with Yang supporters. Just, mm. it was very interesting. But Yang is something. I would say that is the only time I've ever had a actual negative interaction with someone. And I, I realized this after the person I was talking to was a was like the Yang organizer there. Oof. And that's why it had gotten so like so bad. But yeah, no, I just that was terrible. Um <laughs> Yeah, like and it was the thing was like I wasn't like hard disagreeing with them either. And it got pretty like they were talking about universal basic income, which is Yang's I would say flagship proposal, but it's almost his entire platform. Yeah, like, no, he has a lot of stuff in his platform. Like, his platform's pretty extensive, but that's the only thing you ever really hear about. Yeah. But I was just like, yeah, I'm skeptical of whether it would work or not. That was basically all I said. I just, like, I would like a few other guarantees just to make sure. Because, like, our welfare system is not the best, but the way in which we're doing welfare does work. I mean, all other countries basically do it, but they do it more successfully than we do because we have Republicans constantly putting means testing and other nonsense like at actual reducing poverty rates our welfare system is not the best but it could be i mean there are plenty of other countries that do it fine and we should just copy them they copied us by becoming democracies so we can copy them by having <laughs> so asher let's talk about another big issue that affects poor and rural communities which is lack of adequate housing and i, I especially want to say adequate housing not just homelessness because a lot of times the perception is, you know, oh, well, you have housing, but in rural communities, in some cases, it's literally worse than nothing. You know, we have like foothills of Appalachia here. So we're, we have some fairly rural places here. And there are places that don't, that, there are people in the district who don't have electricity. So we definitely get adequate housing. For that matter, we want to do public utilities. I think that would, that's the best option. That's another case where it's just like, why are we letting people profit off of this? Everyone needs this to kind of live. It's so interesting because we had Nabila on and uh, we talked to her about public utilities and she was like, well, you know, I'm still reading and doing the research on that. So you've done the research <laughs> uh, and you've talked to a bunch of people in your district who dealt with that. As we talk about housing, can you talk about utilities and why uh, public ownership of utilities is important to you and the country as a whole? I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me, a lot of things like what socialists are pushing for always to me have seemed really obvious. Like I know a lot of people are like really into theory or whatever. And I was just like, no, this is just the thing that makes sense. And with public utilities, like we all need water. You will literally die without water. So why don't we just give water to everyone at a reasonable rate? No one needs to make a profit. Like we'll all continue to support and pay tax dollars to get someone to purify our water because we're going to yeah. need that. And it's just like, why have some guy that takes even 5% off the top of that? Yeah, 
like I was saying before, we don't need to put a lot of this shit in Lenin quotes and a bunch of other theory elements when it's really easy to present an alternative of like, hey, you know that kind of fucked bit of the society we live in? How about we just like make it better? It doesn't have to be fucked like that. And I, I think that's the real push is just people are so used to the way things have been that they just don't think that they can about it being different. It is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. And you're someone who imagines the end of the world. Very <laughs> <often>. <laughs> so you know, you know firsthand how easy it is, Leia. Yeah. But to be fair to you, you imagine the end of capitalism pretty often as well. I'm I'm constantly. I mean, I imagine lots of things. It's part of my job. <laughs> Anyways, Asher. It, it's always fun getting someone on this show who actually is maybe at least like slightly versed in leftist theory and leftist thought in like a more significant way than just things are messed up. So I became a progressive, which I is very admirable still. But I'm curious, are there any particular models of society that you have seen in theory or in practice that you think are like particularly ideal and that you would like to start shifting america towards yeah you have bookchin with uh, municipalism like that's really the thing and like you like this is a hard district for us to win but if we don't win that's our 100 our goal is that we're going to somewhere in the district most likely kennesaw we are going to try and get a bunch of people to run for city council and mayor there so we can start really affecting things at a local level. And I think that's the way to do it. It is too much red tape, really, for us to go through the federal government. I would love to. I would love to get things changed because there's a lot you can do at the federal level, but there's a lot you can do at the local level. And I think municipalism is really the way to do that. So basically, if you aren't familiar with municipalism, it is basically you get a bunch of socialists to control cities. And then you basically band those cities together in some kind of like confederation to demand things from the state. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, so you basically just make all these successful programs at a local level, which gets you um, grassroots support. Sort of the, the sewer socialists, that kind sewer of thing? So- I, I'm not familiar with what a sewer socialist is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, uh, just for a quick history lesson. The sewer socialists were in the Midwest and Wisconsin and Minnesota, and they were uh, of the Socialist Party of America. And they got elected to city councils and sewer districts. And their main kind of thing was to help kind of market socialism and market leftist ideals by cleaning up the often really dirty sewer systems and being like, hey, socialism can clean up these sewers and make them all nice. And the clean sewers were a source of pride for the cities and for the socialists themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing we'll be looking at doing, just making sure that things are really good at a local level and... I mean, that's another big part of why I'm running. I want to really get out that what socialism is because people do not know. And I think the easiest definition is this is just democracy in the workplace. And I think that's like we want you to be able to have a say in what you're doing. Like, I would love a chair at my job because I I just wait on things to come on a conveyor belt and I load a truck. But there's not always things coming. And I sit on a still a still floor all day. I'm standing up and it really kills my feet. And if I could just have a, a chair while stuff's not coming, that would be make a massive difference in my life. It's just like simple things like that. But without democracy in the workplace, you're not getting that chair. I'm not getting that chair. It's never, it's sad. I really want to chair. Right. 
the sheer inhumanity of modern capitalism at times is frightening. I mean, I'm sure that you might have seen the recent meme going around about a toilet designed to be awful. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know you I saw that, that toilet. Yeah, Jeez. I did. I did. I think that, you know, presenting a viable alternative to a system that is that just degrading of people is a possibility. <laughs> yeah. But one thing we talk about a lot are co-ops. Because co-ops are actually more successful than business, like traditional mm -hmm. businesses and basically every metric that matters. They're less likely to go under. They have a higher growth rate. You get higher wages, like... They're just fundamentally better, but that's not, for some reason, how we like to organize our companies for some reason I don't understand. You think the fact that it doesn't make a lot of money for one guy that's doing the big investment <laughs> might, might have some small amount to do with lack of popularity of co-ops? You think totally okay. No, I, like, I do definitely get that, and it's, they, that's something we have on our platform is that it's you know, it's really hard for them to secure financing. But I was thinking more like, you know, Georgia Tech here in Atlanta has like the startup incubator, right? But for some reason, that startup incubator doesn't really support co-ops. It's more just like they want this entrepreneurship, which is like one guy, you know, like has all the power. And it's kind of crazy to me that they're just not really pushing for co-ops, which they should. Well, part of it is no one understands them. And that's also intentional. You can go out and, you know, start yourself a nice traditional corporation in an afternoon with $200 in your pocket. Starting a co-op is intentionally complex. The methods are often highly obfuscated for like the normal person to try to understand. And even if you go to these small business development people and you say, I want to start a co-op, they just won't know anything. Exactly. So, yeah, and it's it, it it always strikes me as funny, by the way, that, you know, if you were to ask the average American, do you want a king or do you want a dictator? They would say no, but that's what you have at your workplace. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's definitely an effective way to pitch people on socialism. And you wouldn't accept this in your country. So why in the place that you spend eight to ten hours of every day? Well, you've been you've been cooperating with people as you've been running for Congress. What has running for Congress done to help build your personal network of people who share your values? Are you surprised at the amount of help that you've gotten as you've run for Congress or the people that you've met and things like that? And what would you say to somebody who's considering running for that city council spot or or as Leah would say, running to run that sewer and be the director of flushes? How, how has that helped you go from a personal, ideological, political standpoint? Well, all right. So if someone wants to run at a local level, just, just do it. First off, the fees for it are usually a lot smaller than Congress. Uh, if you guys don't know, here in Georgia, to get on the ballot, uh, it's $5,240, which is a crazy amount. Democracy is pay to play. Yeah. But it's typically about a, a few hundred dollars at a local level. But the main benefit of a local level is... You only have to get about 800 people to vote for you if you want to win. Like you can easily talk to 800 people in a handful of weekends. You know, like you can get that banged out in a month or so. How many people have you talked to since you've started running? Oh, probably around that number. Just everyone, just a lot. Yeah. I mean, so I've only been running about a month, so that's what I'm I'm basing that off of. Especially because here they're always advertising for like events. There's like was like Choctoberfest and there's always things like that. So you can go to big things and talk to people. Uh, there's lots of universities here. So I typically, you know, I've been trying to hit up the universities, especially if they have 
a YDSA. But okay, so as far as meeting people, though, it's really great when we meet another libertarian socialist because they don't know that there are any other libertarian socialists in all of Georgia. And so when they meet us, they're like so happy when they hear about us because they are no longer alone. <laughs> and so it's really great. They're always saying that they'll come out and help us, which is great. We're definitely going to really ramp up the canvassing here after the holidays. So we're going to send a bunch of people out. And I think, yeah, it's really expanded the network of people that I know and work with. Like, I've been to a couple things before this. You know, I could have been more politically engaged in the past, but it's it was very much this perception that I've always lived kind of like in a, like fairly far from Atlanta. Right. So I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm this socialist out here in the middle of nowhere. You know, like I'm alone here. There's not much I can do. And I think that's the big thing is that people just need to know that we exist here and we need to come together. You're, you're not things. alone. Yeah, we're not alone. Part of the reason why you didn't have time for politics, I mean, you were a teacher for like a while, right? Yes, I was a physics teacher. It's so funny that like you're a physics teacher and you're you're running against a guy that literally doesn't believe in medicine. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, I would like to point out that he was the Republican chair of the Science and Technology Committee. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I (laughs) did. Of course. I didn't know he was... This reality only exists to make fun of us. Yeah. I I believe he has his degree is in some kind of education. It's like occupational education and IT. So he does have like a vaguely related degree to science and technology at the very least. Like you could... You could teach him science after he leaves Congress, right? Like you could like yeah. schedule some tutoring sessions and then he would be like, wow, I was wrong about a lot of stuff. I didn't even know. No, no. I've already decided that if I actually win, what I'm going to do when they refuse to like pass my bills and we're debating nonsense is that I'm just going to get up with a chalkboard and start teaching them math from beginning algebra all the way up until I can get them calculus. And then we're going to go on and go through physics with quantum mechanics. We're going to make sure that they get a solid science education. I'm going to provide a good solid science education to our Congress members because they desperately need it. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. Doesn't everyone love physics? It's, it's the best. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to personally opt out of that. I'm just going to vote for you and you can be like my represent, you know, I'm slightly outside of your district, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll slide up there. No, 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 no. Brandon, Brandon, drive. Brandon, you just, you just got to remember, uh, when you go in to vote for the second time, take off the I voted sticker. That's the trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to drive up there, take off my sticker. I can definitely squeeze out, yeah. you know, multiple votes. No big deal. Hey, they've been doing a lot of that in the state of Georgia. How do you feel about like, um, voter <laughs> fraud? Segue. Yes, of course. Uh, voter suppression, because apparently there are people who genuinely believe you just take off the sticker and go vote again unfortunately actually my brothers were were purged from the voter list which i'm I'm actually not upset about because i know who they vote for (laughs) (laughs) but we were almost like for some reason i wasn't on the register but i wasn't on the purge list and i wonder if they had purged me but they intentionally didn't like this recent purge, right? I'm not on that purge list, but I wasn't registered for some reason, which I should definitely be registered because I literally updated my license like two weeks ago or a month ago and I re-registered to vote. So like, um, what, what do you think are the major things that need to be done in the state of Georgia slash nationally about voter access? What needs to be reformed to our actual voting system um, so that people can get to vote and can participate in fair elections? 
Okay, well, obviously, we just register everyone when they turn 18. I don't understand why this isn't the thing we do. I mean, if you want to have an ID law, which, whatever, I don't. But you need to make sure that IDs are free and everyone can get IDs. Like They need to have vans out in rural places that are, are driving to people so they don't have to come somewhere to get an ID. But if we could do it, I would want to make Election Day a holiday. I think that's the biggest step, is that we have to make voting more accessible. Mm-hmm. The other thing we get to do, especially in Georgia, is if you voted in 2016, you would have seen the lines were not long at any of the polling places. Like, you could get in, you could get out. It was pretty fast. But come 2018, Kemp was Secretary of State. He's our governor now, for people who don't know. He shut down a lot of the polling places. I actually had to go to a different polling place because they had shut mine down. And I stood in line probably 10 times longer than I did before. And so the Republicans here really don't want people to vote. That's the thing. And people need to know that. Like, should we be voting for a party that doesn't want people to vote? Like, if they don't think they can win on their ideas, why are they continuing to push them? Yeah, you see, the smart right-wingers are realizing that the country is changing and the people in it are changing. And unless they change their ideas, they're going to start losing. So they want to change the people instead. And that's how you get the fucking ethno-fascists we have today. Um, What do you feel like you need? I know you've talked, I mean, we've talked personally about building like a working class campaign. And I know you guys have got real limits on what you can do. Uh, What do you need from people who are listening to this and people in your district uh, in order for you to, I don't, I actually have never asked you, is there a primary? Like, do you have like, yeah, I'm sure that you've got like some other Democrats you've got to knock out in order to actually win the general next year as well. So what what kind of things do you need in order to get that done? All right. So first I wanna I wanna talk about the primary. Yeah. So when we filed to run, there was one other person who had filed recently around the same time. So we filed about the same time. She describes herself as a radical centrist. She wants a she would like there to be a third centrist party. Oh which of course already exists it's called the of Democrats. Course. Is is this <laughs> Like, is this is this election real? You know, you, you have you have a self-described radical centrist against fucking louder milk doherty. Lay, lay it. I'm sorry. It's just I'm continually like I could predict all of this. It's in my mind. Um. Yeah. So this primary is next year, right? Yeah, it is. You got to register by the 20th of April and it's on the 19th of May. Yeah. So what can we done to help you at this stage? against your amazing radical centrist opponent. Leah, we're going to, when you come to Atlanta, like Asher's district is like a 20 minute drive. So we'll go up mm-hmm. there and <laughs> you can hang out and we'll find this radical centrist and maybe. Get right. <laughs> <laughs> Break their knees in the back of a Cadillac, baby. What are you looking for? Like, what do you need in terms of, of what are your goals in the district from a strategic standpoint of winning? We really just got to go out and reach people. And I mean, it's interesting because there's this dichotomy because in the last election, the Cobb County part of our district did vote slightly Democrat. Right. And that's because, I mean, we have Kennesaw State here. So we have a university. There's two Kennesaw State. And there's a lot of, you know, minority voters here and this part that's closer to Atlanta. But up in the north, it's largely white and largely rural. So... We kind of need two different types of people if they want to come help and talk to people because we kind of need a group of people that meshes well with liberal voters and can talk about how like Obama 
was not the best for us. He, he talked a good game, but he didn't really deliver. And we need someone that will mm-hmm. actually deliver on these policies and isn't going to give us these half-measure compromises. And then we need people that are really good at talking to conservatives, you know, talking about the issues that they care about, addressing the concerns. I think that's a big thing is like they may always fundamentally disagree with us. And there are things we don't really want to compromise on, like healthcare. I don't, I have no interest in there being private corporations providing healthcare, but there are things we can do to alleviate their concerns, like having the participatory budgeting. So people that can really relate to that group of voters and talk to them, because we are going to start a pretty big canvassing campaign. We have a few volunteers. I'm going to be doing a lot of walking. I mean, yeah. So just, if you can support and talk to people, spreading the word's a big thing because we're a pretty small campaign. Absolutely. Um, Mm-hmm. This is something that kind of really annoys me is that people are so focused on the president and it doesn't matter who you're voting for, like at all. They can't do what they want to do if they're not going to have a Congress that's favorable to them. It's just plain and simple. And they usually won't do what they said they're going to do, even if they do. So like Obama had a trifecta and didn't really do anything with it. And Trump had a trifecta, didn't really do anything with it. You can, I mean, he did some stuff. Most of the stuff he did through executive order. Right. This is literally why we talk about Congress a lot and why we talk to congressional candidates when we yeah. can, especially if they're good ones. Asher Knuckles, everybody, Georgia 11th. And we're going to have you back on the show. We had to kind of put this together at the last minute a little bit. But as always, like whenever I talk to you, you perform very well under fire, under pressure. You're not somebody that freaks out in a rough situation. So Knew you'd come through, wouldn't have any problems. Uh, can you let people know uh, how to join your campaign and be a part of what you're doing in the spring? Yeah. So, I mean, our website is astronuckles.com. I know my name is difficult to spell, but hopefully they're going to be doing this on a computer. It's in the title of the episode, and it's going to be in the yeah. show notes, so they have no yeah. excuse. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're talking about funny names like Louder Milk, but I kind of have a funny name. Too, so. <laughs> That's true. Your name is a little is a little tougher than Barry Louder Milk, though. Yeah, it really is. And you're you're also on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Advote Knuckles on Twitter. Oh, people should be following you at minimum. Yeah, yeah. they should definitely follow me. Because you have a very yeah. good Twitter account. Yeah, it's because my campaign organizer is really she really loves to tweet, so she's really on it all day. Uh, <laughs> Like all day. Yeah. We know that it takes multiple people to have like one good Twitter account. True. I mean, the campaign's very much a group effort. Uh, well, anyways, thank so, you. Yeah, um, I think we're wrapped here. Yeah, I think we've covered everything. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this was a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Asher Knuckles, everyone. His links will be in the show notes. And as always, we are not safe for wonks. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Leia Rose. Brandon Buchanan, thank you so much for listening. We'll do better next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya.